everybody. What's up? Howdy doody, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Hangry Hungry Podcast. This is Tony Flo Real. And I just got back from an amazing day doing sauna and cold immersion in the ocean. Back and forth, getting that tide, that blood flow, getting that fresh blood in there, getting the old blood out and fleshing it back and forth. Which reminds me, I have Magic Flow Bus weekend happening on July 21st and 22nd. This is our first ever overnight camping experience. We're going to be hosting it at Orchard School in near Santa Cruz, California, a little town called Aptos. And uh, we're actually going to have a guest of honor. He is a two-time world uh, Guinness Book of World Record uh, biggest waves ever paddled into. Uh, he broke it, broke the record twice. And uh, his name is Sean Dollar. He's going to be our special guest for that Saturday. So if you're interested, check out magicflowbus.com. We have an amazing, amazing day. 12 plus hours of flow plus Sunday, which is a half day. We're going to be showing people all the different ways to access flow state. It's when you just feel amazing, you perform amazing, and uh, you just access this state of mind where you lose track of time. Either it speeds up or it speeds down or slows down, excuse me. And uh, you just feel like yourself, that critical mind, that inner critic of ours, um, known as the prefrontal cortex is there for reasons for survival purposes but sometimes we just overanalyze things and we never never attempt to go after our dream so in this day we're going to combine all these different triggers of flow and uh, also biotechnologies biohacking technologies uh, that will enable you to like see your own brain waves in real time, such as neurofeedback. There's going to be uh, these cool electrical devices that are electromagnetic in in uh, in their technologies, which helps induce uh, these cool alpha theta electrical signals in the body uh, neurologically through the brain. And we have good food, we have good music, awesome people, just people of all walks of life from executive business executives to uh, professional athletes and just regular Joes and Janes like you and me. So check out magicflowbest.com if you're in the California, Santa Cruz area. We'd love to see you. It's an awesome community. It's growing little by little. And... Uh, you know, we're starting to have these many Magic Flow meetups as well to build the community in the San Francisco Bay Area. So wherever you're in the world and if you want to come by, just we got about a week out from now to uh, sign up and uh, check it out. So this show, Hangry and Horny, is sponsored by F-Bomb Nut Butters. Go to dropinfbomb.com. Look at their different selections of macadamia-based nut butters. They have my favorite, which is macadamia coconut with sea salt. They have one with just sea salt and macadamia. They have a nice dessert type, which has very, very low sugar. 
and that's the uh, macadamia and coconut with chocolate and sea salt, I believe. And they got the macadamia and pecan. They're also carrying olive oils, uh, MCT oils for those that are into like bulletproof type coffees or fat coffees. And uh, just a different kinds of fats that are really good for the body. And uh, it's, these things are tear away packets. You just need them. And then you tear the top off and you drop that F-bomb down the pipe and gives you your healthy fats for your body. Nice quick energy. You can have it for a snack, for on the go, or even as a light meal that doesn't bog you down. So go to fbomb.com and use the code word FLOWREAL. F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L. And that gives you 20% off of your first order. They even sell t-shirts, which are super cool. So check it out. My next guest is Dr. Carlos Rivas. And I love this man. He's an amazing medical doctor. Has gone through a journey. He actually started uh, learning engineering at Cal Berkeley Golden Bear. And uh, even after that, I just decided that although he loves engineering technologies, he really wanted to help people. So apparently he took the side track or side door into medical school. And apparently they have an option for those that had graduated with the bachelor's and something else. And, you know, people that had sort of a change of heart and decided they wanted to go into the medical field, which... What the fuck? I wish I knew about that. Maybe I would have been a medical doctor by now or back then. But hey, that was in my path and I get to surround myself and stand on the shoulders of giants like Dr. Carlos Rivas. He just is, you know, all about the hard science and research, but it's also open to alternative healing methods and practices including flow states he understands that science has its own limitations with measurements and quantification so he also brings in the subjective value of you know feelings and emotions and you know some of these other sort of soft science domains um, that you know we need to pay attention to that we know has an effect like being out in nature and bathing in the forest or bathing in the ocean so things like grounding and earthing getting our bare feet on the ground it's pretty obvious that we've all have loved our technologies to the point that it's also making us sick and crazy so give it up to dr carlos rivas my next guest on Hangry and Horny. Thanks, everybody. Mwah. Dr. Carlos Rivas, what's happening? Hey, good afternoon, Tony. Welcome to Hangry and Horny, brother. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure. It's always wow. good to hang out with you. 
Yeah, definitely, man. So you just got back from uh, Hawaii. You moved there recently, huh? Yeah, so we moved on. Uh, it's actually, it's cute. We moved, we flew out on Valentine's Day, um, February 14th this year. So we've been out there like five months now. Um, but before I left, we made a strong commitment that, you know, our roots, our family are all here mm-hmm. in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yep. Um, so we make sure to come back. And then also professionally, um, kind of the hub of what I'm doing is here in the Bay Area, especially around one of your former uh, podcast guests, Dr. Scott Share. Yes. Uh, since he's kind of one of our chief organizers, I imagine we'll get into more details. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there. we had Dr. Um, Scott Share on a couple of episodes ago. But he's kind of our anchor, so when we do things uh, physically as a group, it's off. It's usually here for the for the home group, right? Yeah, for health so, optimization, medicine, and practice. Okay, yeah. so you're a medical doctor. You went to Georgetown University, right? Yeah, for my MD, I went to Georgetown University. For my bachelor's in engineering, I went to UC Berkeley. Here, go Bears! Yeah, uh, so you were an engineer before becoming a med- medical doctor. I guess you, I mean, I have an engineering degree. I never really practiced engineering. I never certified to practice in engineering. We can get into that a little bit. But yeah, definitely I have a kind of engineer's outlook on, um, you know, what I would call problems in the world and troubleshooting them. Um, and, but yeah, I have an engineering degree and then I got my medical degree at Georgetown and then I did my residency here. Uh, in internal medicine in the Bay Area at Highland Hospital, which is the county hospital of Oakland okay. and of Alameda County. So how did you go from, like, engineering to medicine? Um, well, so actually what happened was my dad's an engineer, um, mostly, like, electrical engineering, doing uh, circuits and circuit boards in telecommunications. Um, so almost all of his work has always been here in the Bay Area with some of the big uh, tech and communications companies. Um, so I grew up here in the Bay Area in kind of a, a tech environment and specifically with my father's influence with an engineering mindset. always had like an interest and a little bit of an aptitude for math and the hard sciences. Um, you know, like AP physics was one of my favorite classes in high school. Um, but AP bio is where I really just kind of like naturally felt like I'm like I almost felt like I was playing and having fun in AP bio class, which was weird. So I knew that I liked biology, but also knew that like maybe kind of following my father's footsteps and the model that he put out there to do things in kind of like a a technical way. And at the same time when I was applying to college um, was when stem cell science was really hitting the mainstream news. Like I remember seeing like a Time magazine cover about stem cells. Like, oh, that just like looks cool. That mm-hmm. looks sexy, you know. Right, right. Like the high resolution close up photo of a yeah, stem cell. Yeah, that kind of photo and just like, oh, stem cells, like we're gonna be able to do all these cool regenerative medicine things that we couldn't do before, but we need people with an engineering mindset to help us figure out the science of applying these things in real people's lives. And that just sounded so cool. So I was like, I wanna be a bioengineer, you know, and so like I started looking at programs for that and then was lucky enough to get into uh, UC Berkeley's bioengineering program. Um, and then I realized very quickly that like engineering was cool and I had kind of an engineering mindset, but like didn't have the personality type um, to be sitting in an office or in a lab or in like a machine shop, like working with machines or computer screens. Like 
very quickly I got disinterested in the like what an engineering professional ends up looking like from a day to day um and that was reflected in my grades I like barely graduated GPA wise from UC Berkeley um because I was in the wrong program engineering bioengineering and engineering in general was sexy but like really not my personality style I also was lucky enough to have some friends who were pre-med at UC Berkeley um and um they already knew that that was the track that they were on. Um, they were close friends of mine, roommates of mine. I was like, he looks like he's having fun, like going and volunteering at the clinic. Um, I had had some uh, family members go through some really difficult medical things, like right at the end of high school and going into college, like both my grandfathers uh, died of different types of cancer, both around the same time as I was like fr- figuring out what I wanted to do academically and professionally. Um, so that was always an inspiration where like, you know, maybe I could do more here in the health space. Mm-hmm. Um, but never, I didn't have any close family members or friends before college um, that were in medicine or could give me any guidance or inspiration on that track. So, But luckily I had some pre-med classmates um, and I followed them to the clinics where they were volunteering. And after the first time volunteering in a clinic, I was like, this is it. Like medicine. Like oh. I love this stuff. I can apply like my technical mind. Yeah. But also like do it in a very personal flesh and blood one-on-one way um so that was really inspiring and motivating for me unfortunately at the time i'd already like tanked my gpa yeah so and like getting into american medical schools like especially md programs at the time i didn't really have any access to the do world doctor of osteopathic um if i had i might have gone that path okay um but at the time the only thing i knew about like for legit medicine was like a traditional md track so um that's the track i tried to get on but it was like super competitive yeah um luckily i was able to get into what's called a post-bac program um that they kind of help you recover your academic portfolio so that you can competitively apply to medical school so i got into a post-bac program um at georgetown which is where i met you know, one of my closest friends and colleagues, Dr. Shaker Pai. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in a postback program at George. Shaker, what's up? <laughs> what's up, bro? <laughs> um, he was also in a postback program there. Um, him and I really clicked, just like similar outlooks. So they, life. so they have an option for students that uh, neither went to pre-medicine route or that had like maybe poor GPAs yeah, it might that be. still was interested in getting into medicine. There's a, a, a way that people could do that. Definitely. I had no idea. I, I would have gone that route myself. Yeah, there's lots, <laughs> of, there's lots of different routes, you know, like some people um, will go DO or like they're in an environment where they're more exposed to non-traditional forms of medicine, um, like naturopathic, chiropractic, um, traditional Chinese medicine, etc. I wasn't to any of those things so i was like uh that's all voodoo i want to do real medicine mm. my mindset's completely different now about yeah. that kind of stuff but at the time i was like that's not medicine all i know about is like the conventional medical clinic where i uh, did some volunteering and it was awesome it's real science and like really taking care of people um so that was the track I went down. I was lucky enough to find out about post-bac programs. That's one way to go. There's other ways, too. Like, we had lots of friends that either did DO or um, went to some of the international schools. That A lot of them are in the Caribbean. Um, and so, like, some people go there and then come back and do their residency here in the United States. Um, and, you know, I try to 
kind of give back to the pipeline of healers in medicine. So I have mentees that are have taken all these different paths. And um, what matters is that you follow your heart and you keep going even if you think there's like barriers in your way. Because you, yeah. you there's always a way to do what you love, um, even if it seems difficult or competitive. Right, because earlier on we were talking about like how you and Shaker were able to get through medical school with the type of hours and yeah. you know, sort of the depressions that you mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. were suffering. So, And not just us, I actually like... Um, people hearing this probably are like at least a little bit tapped into social media so anyone hearing this i'd recommend they look up a doc named pamela wibble have you heard of her no um so she's a huge advocate for um mental health awareness in physicians specifically um because unfortunately very sadly um there's a very high rate of suicide in the healing professions uh physicians and then even some Uh, physician specialties in particular like very sadly um, anesthesiologists have a very high rate of suicide compared to uh, the general population um any reason for that like why there's lots of reasons and we can we can get into that through like me talking about like my story going through professional training and um you know me talking about like what i went through with friends and colleagues uh like shaker um but yeah, so like Pamela Wibble, she does a great job of advocating for more awareness for um, physician mental health, physician suicide awareness. Um, and then she also, it's not just the dark side, she also um, brings out the light side, which is physicians really need to find a way to practice in a way that's true to their heart and like the heart of their patients or clients. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's that really a lot of the um, depression and unfortunately suicide that results is from a frustrated sense of purpose you know like i don't know about everybody i can only speak definitively for myself but i'm pretty sure that nearly all doctors go into medicine for the right reason they want to help people they want to be a conduit for healing um but our medical system um puts a lot of impediment to that um and then doctors feel stuck and they feel like they can't give back to the world in the way that they dreamed in the way that they hoped and even in the way that they know in their heart they could but just like haven't found the pathway to do it um and so they see themselves frustrate um suffering professionally they see their patients suffering in ways that would be preventable if the system was more permissive and they don't have the support and the like uh mentorship to find a way to do it in a way that's true to their own heart and calling and so like sometimes that ends up on a very dark uh train of thought which can have um fatal consequences right so Um, there's there's things like oh go ahead dr pamela wibble also like really promotes what uh she labels the ideal medical practice um and really helps mentor and create community around like no you're a physician you need to practice true to your heart let's find ways to do that um so she she puts a lot of light on um physician mental health issues but also like hey a big part of the solution is like let's help you find a way to practice in alignment with what you know to be true in medicine right um right. and so that's great she's like showing what's wrong but also giving a very powerful 
solution. Um, so I really, anybody who's interested in those sorts of things, like the, the struggles that doctors or, and not just doctors, it's like actually really common in a lot of the healing professions, like nursing and other, uh, excuse me, other healing professions, just like the tradition is that the training is kind of inhuman, um, which is a little bit paradoxical and perverse, right? That like mm-hmm. the healers are being trained in this very unhealthy environment. Um, but it's important to have awareness of what those people are going through because we're human too. Um, and if we're sick, we're not going to give the kind of care that the, that our patients and the general population deserves. Um, and there's better ways to do it. Um, the system isn't as built out for people who want to practice independently as it is for people um, who are practicing as part of big groups like HMOs um, or other big insurance groups. Um, but there are ways. Yeah, there are and, ways. And Pamela is really doing a lot to shine light on that. Not the only one, thankfully. Yeah. There's a community of us who are really trying to find our own way. But um, Pamela's but what, a great so, job. So what's some of the uh, barriers or impediments that you guys were having that would cause you to kind of feel a little jaded about the system? I mean, this is not just in medicine, but a lot of people are doing jobs out there that mm-hmm. aren't really true to their nature, their right. heart. They're just trying to like survive, trying to earn an income, mm-hmm. put food on the table for their families, mm-hmm. a roof over their heads. Mm-hmm. So what were those uh, things that were in the way for you as a, a human being becoming a doctor? Well, I mean, like, kind of like I said, um, I think me specifically and most doctors go into medicine for the right reasons. Um, want to heal, right? Um, want to help be a conduit to healing. For ourselves, honestly, like, you know, most of us go into medicine because we feel like there's something wrong with us and we need to find uh, ways to promote healing with ourselves, but also then be educators and promoters and facilitators of health with the people we're interacting with. Namely, our professional obligation is to our patients. And that's part of the Hippocratic Oath, right? Heal yes, thyself exactly. physician, right? Exactly. So um, I think all of us carry some version of the Hippocratic Oath in our hearts. Um, but I took that very seriously. You know, like we swear the oath at our what's called the white coat ceremony. Um, and I think one of the things that drew, drew me and Shaker together was that we both took like the ethical and like heartfelt side of medicine very seriously. Um, and we were we were both willing to discuss the problems when that would when we'd face barriers in that. So like, what are the kinds of barriers? So like. You know, for example, just kind of starting from the beginning, like post back year and the first couple years of medical school, it, at least at the program where we were at Georgetown, um, it's very academic, right? Like you're in the library, freaking just like pounding your head on textbooks and syllabuses and lectures and lecture slides and whatnot, right? Um, just the volume uh, of material that you're expected to process in the amount of time that you have is inhumane. It's impossible to do so. Um, without losing something fundamental in your life, right? Like you either have to give up sleep. If you're not willing to give up sleep, you have to give up your social life. Um, And these are like important social connections too, right? I'm not just saying like, oh, you have to give up partying. It's like, no, you have to give up your wife. You have to give up your child. You have to like give up your parents, you know, because you don't have time for them. Um, And then on top of that is like in the American like in kind of Western medical tradition, um, that's actually very explicit. Like if you look at the P 
people who are like strong influencers of the way that medicine is taught today, there was like a very influential report called the Flexner Report. And it was like this researcher um, named Flexner traveled the Western world to find all the best practices in medical education. And one of the strongest institutions that he found at the time was Johns Hopkins. Um, But Johns Hopkins was run by a couple like really awesome doctors that were like documented to be on cocaine and heroin to like manage their work schedule. You know, like they used cocaine to work crazy hours um, and used uh, opiates to come back down off of that. Um, And they would explicitly say in their writings, like, your family should be proud that they're giving you up for the greater service of humanity through medicine. And that can be true in a way, right? Like you make... In, if you go into any of these vocations, like you make um, a sacrifice, you say like I'm going to sacrifice a part of myself for the greater good. Um, but everyone needs to be able to uniquely find that balance of how much they're willing to sacrifice for that greater good, and um, it's, it goes way too far for mm-hmm. the average person, and it isn't what we call like titrated. Like you just like dive in head first, you know. Like day one, you're underwater and you're just like struggling to get a breath the whole time and it's relentless man like when I have um when I have mentees and they're at this stage like first year of medical school um I tell them like okay you're kind of gonna feel like you're holding your breath for like nine to ten months you know from white coat ceremony until the end of m1 year the end of first year of medical school um and then you're gonna have the last summer of your life because like after that it doesn't stop you know, it's just like books, 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 patients, 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 hospital, 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 24-7. Like, you don't get out. And then when you try, um, your superiors, you know, can call upon this Western medical tradition of saying, like, you're supposed to suffer. You're supposed to give up a big piece of yourself to do this. And so it's almost like uh, well-intentioned hazing. Oh. Uh. You know? Um, so you're kind of like hazed into becoming a physician. Wow. Um, and so it's like survival of the fittest kind of a process. And yeah. a lot of people and the culture kind of takes pride mm. in that. Um, and, you know, there's even certain terms that come out like uh, um, being one of the ones who's like kind of able to float to the top of that. It's called being a gunner. Um, so there's a lot of pride in being like a gunner. Um, or uh, when you're on rounds with your attending physician and they kind of lean into you for not knowing what you're supposed to know, they call that pimping, you know? So it's like, oh, it is a very kind of like, I don't know, sometimes abusive uh, relationship between the trainee and the training institutions and the uh, training culture. a little tiny bullying yeah. Type of... Uh, oh, not tiny. It's really like a, oh, yeah. a a big culture and a big institution and a lot of people take pride on a it. A lot of pride, and yeah. And it has helped. Like the caliber of, uh, of you know, scientific rigor in medicine is extremely high. Like Western medicine has performed miracles that would be, would be seen like completely impossible to people even like 50 years ago, you know? Um, and some of that comes from the intensity that's like... Um, 
fostered in medical training. So um, there's an upside to it because they're trying to, to save it. lives, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's real and it's life and death and you need to be there and like, yeah, you're not going to sleep tonight, but you might save somebody's life if you don't sleep tonight. So get in there, you know? Um, so maybe I've, I've never served in the military. Um, none of my immediate family has served in the military, but I do have some friends who um, are in the military or are veterans. Um, and so when I hear their stories or like read about like their culture, it seems similar too. Mm. It's like, nope, you're a soldier in this war against disease. Um, and like, you're going to be in the front lines and you're going to take shots and you're not going to come out of this the same and you should kind of take pride in those scars and so there is like some good that comes from that but there's a lot of collateral damage to um not just the doctors but all and but also the patients when doctors like aren't like at the top of their game because they're tired or like burnt out and they make mistakes because they're tired because they yeah. haven't seen their family or yeah and they make mistakes or they just like aren't as like emotionally energetically available as mm-hmm. they could be um, mm-hmm. because they've had to squash their own humanity to a degree that um, they probably didn't even realize. Like uh, most soldiers going into it, they're like, yeah, I'm a soldier. I'm going to war. I'm going to get shot at. Not mi- not to say that like that's a perfect um, Analogy. Im- immunization yeah. against like, you know, the trauma that they might experience. But mm-hmm. like they have some general awareness of the like, intensity and riskiness of the environment that they're going into doc i don't think doctors do because we don't talk about the dark side of like how intense it is and how like dehumanizing it can be um and you don't really know until you're on the back end including soldiers like they talk about all this stuff maybe mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. when you actually go through it and come back to the other end no one really understands you and what you're feeling and so there's I think I'm starting to understand why some doctors are like checked out and they feel you feel like that they're just just there to write you a prescription and go see the next patient partly because of the system but 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 also partly because of you know having to like check out emotionally to work day yeah. in day out and not get sleep and not be able to take care of themselves not see their family not have a social life like all of that has its toll mm-hmm. and so when you're interacting with that particular physician you may feel like they're not really there in front of you even yeah. though they physically are yeah that's exactly that's um i mean we, we're jumping around a little bit on the timeline but that's what happened to me uh recently um, right before i moved to hawaii um i my wife was pregnant um was just about to have a baby and so like there was some financial pressure and i had to like make sure i was taking care of the three of us um because we had discussed and i wanted to make sure that she had the flexibility to stay home with the baby if that's what she wanted to do um and she was very motivated to be um a full-time mom that way um and i really wanted to support that so I was like, all right, um, I got to like figure out the financials on this. I can't just like be playing my own game, you know, and like sleeping on couches if that's what I'm willing to do. It's like, no, I mean, I got to take care of my family. Um, and I hadn't figured out the the way to make uh, my ideas for private practice uh, financially uh, adequate yet at that point. So I had to fall back on my license and my conventional training in t- internal medicine. So I went into internal medicine primary care, 
um, at a hospital local to here. Um, and there were some great things about it. I um, speak Spanish. I'm bilingual. Uh, my uh, my parents immigrated from El Salvador, so I am a natural speaker of Spanish just from learning it at home and then practicing it over and over again with any time I have a patient who's uh, primarily Spanish-speaking. Um, so my Spanish isn't perfect, but it's pretty good. Um, and I always knew I wanted to give back to my people. You know, like I know uh, I'm not an immigrant, but I'm a first-generation American. So I saw through my family that the immigrant's life is um, a struggle to assimilate, to adapt, um, and to establish themselves so that they can give a uh, strong foundation to the next generation. Um, and so I've always had a lot of uh, sympathy for that and like obviously like I know my people's culture to the degree that I know it so I wanted to be able to give service in that way because I know that when you're interacting with the healthcare system it's freaking complicated Um, and so if you don't speak English um, and American isn't your primary culture um, it can be really hard to get what you need so I've always wanted to be in that space where I could like help out from a not only a medical way, but also linguistically and culturally. Um, that was a big thing that drew me back to Highland Hospital uh, in Alameda County was like, I want, I want to take care of my neighbors. You know, uh, I grew up in Alameda County, Union City, Fremont, Hayward, um, went to Moreau Catholic High School on Mission Boulevard in Hayward. I was like, I want to get back to my peeps. Um, so I went to Highland and then I uh, the most recent hospital I was working at, um, I worked in what's called the Spanish module, um, where all the medical assistant staff spoke Spanish and all the physician staff were bilingual in Spanish. And so we were trying to give like linguistically and culturally appropriate, uh, care. Um, and so I, and I loved it. I, every like middle-aged Latina that came in reminded me of my mom or my grandma and I was like I'm taking care of my grandma right here you know like very heartfelt um but at the same time the system was crazy like you had 15 minutes per patient um and that's like from end to end like that's not just like you have 15 minutes in the room with them it's like no you have 15 minutes to review their chart before you go in see them like document the encounter, write the orders, like double check that you're not screwing anything up and give them education on like how to follow up on your recommendations. All of that in 15 minutes for people who have like a whole life story to tell me and like who knows how much complexity in their medical care and how many specialists they're seeing, etc. Um, it was inhuman. So like the way that I managed it was by just running late 24-7. You know, I was just like, I can't, like, just abandon this person in front of me. So I was always running late, so I was always in trouble with the management at work. Um, And also, like, all those, like, bureaucratic things that I mentioned, like writing the note, like putting in some of the orders, like double, triple checking everything, I just had to leave it for later. So then I would stay at work an extra, like, four or five hours a night every night. Um, And so, like, I was giving up my family, even though, like, my newborn son and my, like, postpartum wife were at home like needing me there too you know um and so this was this constant struggle a lot of doctors would manage it by like taking their work home you take a work laptop home and do your extra stuff from home but i could never do that because when my wife or my son were in the room with me i couldn't not be with them you know um so i just had to stay at work late all the time so i lost sleep and or i lost um time with my own family and i just wasn't 
able to appreciate life. And then there's all these other things like I couldn't practice medicine the way that I wanted to practice. I knew that nutrition and lifestyle were like the cornerstones of health, but you don't have the time to implement those things. You really just have time to like check some basics and write prescriptions. Um, And so like even though a lot of doctors know better, they don't feel like they can implement um, more natural lifestyle-based Yeah, they're forced to by the system and the structure. Yeah, so I was just, like, so stuck in that, and, like, I couldn't find a way out and felt like I had gotten kind of trapped there just because, like, I needed the paycheck. Um, So, but luckily, my family was really supportive. Um, So at one point, we had saved up a little bit of money and just, like, we got to, like, blow up this situation before it blows us up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just could feel that I was on, like, a, a You could see spiral. the path, the end path. And actually, I was, like, talking to some of my colleagues there who had worked there for a long time, and they were like, yeah, if I was a new doc, I wouldn't, like, come here. It's like, uh-oh. Like, that's not a good sign. Um, so, like, I quit my job. Um, we quit the Bay Area. We talked about this a little bit before, but I just felt like the culture in the Bay Area wasn't as... Um, personal and warm as it had been when I was growing up you know like thank God for Silicon Valley and the tech revolution that we've had we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now uh, if it weren't for that and like communicating with so many people I'm not saying at all that I'm anti uh, tech or anti Silicon Valley the opposite like we need these technologies and we need to learn how to use them to the best degree possible Um, but the culture around all the tech that's coming out um, hasn't we haven't created an etiquette yet for how to interact yeah with technology in a like fully pro-human way right so like which right means in- like if we're talking right now and I just happen to look down my phone for a, while, a little bit while you're still talking it's very rude yeah it, yeah. C- it could be perceived that way and yeah. I think even yeah I, I think we're kind of like have some instincts on like what social interaction feels like but our devices are so powerful and in some ways like so addictive that like it's really caused um i don't know growing pains in how we're gonna continue to socialize in a pro-human way that's also augmented by Mm -hmm. technology um i think we still have a lot to sort out about how to make these technologies just supportive in our communication rather than interrupting some very important aspects of communication. So right now, because of that, the culture is like very much like device driven here in the Bay Area. At least that's been my experience, especially here in Silicon Valley. So I knew that was a lot of screen time versus face to face time yeah. in person. Yeah. That's why this show is so important. Yeah. I don't do Zoom calls or Skype calls for interviews. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. this is why we connect is mm-hmm. because we see each other face to face and even the uncomfortable parts of, mm-hmm. you know, miscommunication. But mm-hmm. it gives us My a chance. My leg is getting numb right now. Yeah, your leg, whatever. <laughs> you're like, you know, moving around and yeah. I might interpret it a certain way, but mm-hmm. we could like laugh about these things or I could find out like what exactly is going on. So there's more feedback that's going on, which mm-hmm. is limited to technology, which enabled us to meet 
you know mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. you were into the wim hof ice man yep. method i was doing it at the time we had mutual friends that thought we should meet and i was like holy shit some doctors that are into this mm-hmm. like you know you never think that doctors would be you know outside the box that way and mm-hmm. you guys were looking for uh, modalities that could help people mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's in your traditional training mm-hmm. or outside and mm-hmm. so i was like hell yeah i want to meet these guys and when i meet you not only are you guys awesome but you're like you know you're doctors you actually like give a shit Sorry. we could have a conversation i never felt like that you were um better than me you know in in a certain way because you're a medical doctor it was just like yeah that's your training but on a human to human level we could connect and that's what's i could see where you're saying with the bay area Mm -hmm. you know so many people are so locked into their phones that they don't they really um atrophied their their communication and social aspects of their life Mm -hmm. yeah and like you know, it's not like the Bay Area or Silicon Valley is, like, all bad or, like, yeah, something like that. It's not. I was, you know, going back to, like, what I was going through professionally, um, I was very frustrated. So I was already kind of, like, in a dark mindset, you know. Um, and we were talking about this in the car also, but I probably have some biology that just, like, predisposes me to being more sensitive to mood dysregulation, if you want to call it that. Um so, you know, you, we could get into, like, genetics and epigenetics and all that stuff. But just, let's just say, like, I'm probably more sensitive to, like, mood swings than the average person. Um, and so, like, I need to be really careful about my sleep. I really need to be careful about the track that my mindset is on. Because um, things can get really dark really quickly for mm-hmm. me. And then when that happens, I can only see the negative. Right. right. And the so, food you eat. and Yeah, all these know, things. Lifestyle. I, I probably need to be more careful about it than the average person. Um and I see that actually when I do my own labs and do my own like uh, quantification of my biology, it's like, whoa, my stuff gets really out of whack really easily. Um, I need to be really careful about my micronutrients, et cetera. Um, but so anyways, what I'm saying is like, it was very easy for me at the time to only see the dark sides of what was happening in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley in particular, because I lived in San Mateo, worked in, where we are now in Redwood City. Um, and so, and then like, uh, my wife's family is in Santa Clara, so it was like I was like a Silicon Valley kid uh, for the like couple years, um, and so I could only see the dark side. Now that I can come back here on vacation, like I can see all the beauty. You know, I can just enjoy my family, super quality time, loving the great weather. You know, we just were at a park in San Mateo, Coyote Point. You know, saw the bay and walking the hills and like in the eucalyptus grove. Um, even like watching the planes go by on the way to SFO, it's like, it's beautiful. And there's like a lot of beauty and like, and even in Silicon Valley, like in the, the corporate tech world, a lot of creativity and ingenuity and like hardworking. Like, yeah, innovations. These guys, are, yeah. these guys like are building the, the tools that are going to save the world, you know? Um, like I, I can't stop praising guys like, Elon Musk, who's based, like, basically in my hometown, Fremont, uh, which is just on the other side of the bay from here. Um, so I'm not saying that, like, it's bad to be here or whatever, whatever, but, like, in the mindset that I was, I could only see the negative and I needed to, like, kind of blow things up and um, flip things over. So I knew I loved the ocean. I knew I loved warm weather. I knew I loved warm people, you know, like, in a warm culture. Um, I knew I loved the mountains and hiking, um, 
and I had been to Hawaii a couple times, once when I was a kid with my fam- with my parents, um, and one time more recently um, with my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, um, and just, like, every time I was there, I was like, this is it, you know, like, even, like, local Hawaiians, like, will say, like, paradise in air quotes, but, like, it was definitely, like, the closest experience to, like, you know, I'm I'm a Christian Catholic uh, by, uh, you know, religious upbringing. The closest to Eden uh, I had ever been, um, and still America. So you don't even need a passport to mm-hmm. get there. You just mm-hmm. need your driver's license and a plane ticket. So it was like, fuck it. Like, it was awesome every time we went. Let's just live there. Um, my wife, she's half Japanese. There's a very strong Japanese influence in uh Honolulu in particular um so I think that part's cool um and so she's uh mixed you could call her Hapa um and so our son is also mixed uh, part Japanese part Western European which is a lot of my heritage you know part um Native Central American because I have a little bit of Mayan blood in me we could even get into the 23 and me on that if you wanted to yep um but uh, so yeah, there was like a lot of reasons on both sides where like it felt right. And then definitely it felt like a better place to raise a child. It was like, we want him to be connected to nature. We want him to be warm and compassionate and loving, uh, and affectionate. We want him to, I want him to surf. Like there's a surfing tradition in my family. So I'm learning how to surf again. Um, and I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Your yeah, family, yeah. you're surfers. Oh yeah. No, my dad in was El like Salvador. An, my dad was an award-winning surfer. Wow. Uh, in El Salvador. He would like compete in like the national surfing competitions there. Um, you know, so I always grew up around like, Actually, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of decent surfing, you know, like Mavericks and like lots of other beaches here in the Bay Area are like, you know, global hotspots actually for surfing. But um, maybe it was from our like tropical background, you know, my dad growing up in El Salvador. It's like, oh, the water's cold here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's actually like really hard to convince us like growing up to get in the water here. Now my dad's like, okay, well, fuck it. I'm not leaving the Bay Area because his like he's in tech so he's not leaving silicon valley most likely um so he had to like suck it up and get a wetsuit on and like bear the cold in santa cruz and half moon bay and uh, pacifica and the san francisco shoreline um but i never like could re- even with my wim hof training man yeah i couldn't get in the freaking bay or like we would go up to aquatic park in yep. san francisco i actually went there like with an informal little wim hof meetup group um you could probably even find evidence of that still on Facebook. There, like I started like one of the inner fire uh, groups on Facebook in the San Francisco area, and I tried to organize an event over there. And I was the lamest one, man. Like I could not <laughs> get myself underwater there. It was like so cold. Just something like just in my psyche that was like, no, the ocean's supposed to be warm. Mm. Um, I think I just experienced like Salvadoran waters and hawaiian waters enough time that it was like no that's what feels right like i don't want to get in this cold ass ocean um i can get in an ice bath but i for some reason just like mentally it was a big struggle to get into that so anyways long story short that like i like felt called to get back into the ocean i know there's a lot of problems with it but like i really like the movie moana as just like you know like the vibe just felt right like moana is even like a uh, Hawaiian like Polynesian term for the ocean she's like an embodiment like an avatar of the ocean you see that in the movie that she has this like really special relationship it's one of my son Charlie's like favorite movies oh Hawaii. that's cute um, and I felt called you know the same way that she kind of felt called to like go out yeah into the ocean um, maybe it's like the 
conquistador in me, you know, like the Spanish, like sailor, pirate in the Pacific. Right, explorer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in me that would like felt called to go back okay. out there. And uh, unfortunately, El Salvador isn't a great place to go right now. There's a lot of uh, political um, and just like safety issues yeah. uh, in El Salvador. Um so, but like, like I said, Hawaii, you don't even need a passport and just yep. fly over. So, and it's actually a discount, uh, cost of living compared to Silicon Valley. Um, so we're actually saving money on rent and lots of reasons for the move to Hawaii, but it's helped tremendously for my own mindset, my own outlook that, but also like me, um, really like doubling down, tripling down on my own pursuit of what I think is truth in medicine of which like health optimization medicine is a big part of that um so um i'm doing everything i can to buy myself time to just like fully build up my private practice um to like mini plug myself a little bit the probably the the best handle is carlosrivasmd.com um you can also find us on Facebook, probably the best there is like facebook.com slash Carlos A. Rivas MD. Um, we're on Instagram at Carlos Rivas MD, etc. But whatever, that's me and my um, my co-owner, partner in crime, Elizabeth Artis. Um, and we're doing everything we can to deliver real medicine to as many people who want it as possible. Um, and that's really helped too, that I'm just like able to fully invest in myself time-wise and financially um, to deliver real medicine true to my Hippocratic oath or at least my interpretation of uh, my professional duty. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what is it about uh, Hawaii that enabled you to sort of shift? Because I remember before you left and your sort of internal predicaments mm-hmm. about being here in the system and mm-hmm. wanting to do what you're doing now with health op- optimization medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into like Hawaii itself, mm-hmm. the culture, the nature. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. Um, the, the weather is just freaking warm. Um, I think Literally, I mean, we can get a little bit nerdy on this. I think I was literally, like, infrared deficient. I just, like, wasn't outside enough, like, under the sun. Um, Just, like, the clinic where I was working, super cold. All the lights were fluorescent, um, constant AC. Like, we would wear our white coats in our offices, like, not because we wanted to look professional, but just because we couldn't stand the cold in the office. Um, So, like, literally, I felt like like my life force was being sucked out of me into the air conditioning. Um, and, but like I've always felt, and there's a lot of science behind it, that the sun was life-giving and like the warmth from the sun, which is primarily transmitted through infrared wavelengths, um, is life-giving. Um, so just the warmth and the sunshine in Hawaii, like I said, like being called to the ocean, I can just like ride my bike down the hill. I live in Manoa Valley, which is beautiful. I'm happy to get into like how awesome Manoa Valley is. Um, but I just ride down the mountain to the beach and I'm in the ocean and, you know, we can get a little bit nerdy on that, like the grounding and, but also even just the connection with nature. It's been well studied that, um, the more you expose yourself to natural environments, your inflammatory markers go down, your white blood cells calm down, your cytokines chill out. Um, you're more resilient, uh, 
mentally less at risk for uh, mental health issues. Um, and it's even been studied in uh, as far as longevity, people who have more regular exposure to natural environments live longer because um, you need it. And we have maybe haven't figured out every detail of how nature is a healing force in our lives, but the the science is clear. We need nature. We need sunshine. We need fresh air. Uh, we need to get our feet wet and dirty and our hands wet and dirty. Um, we need to like eat a little bit of dirt and get into the <laughs> microbiome stuff of that. Um, but like really like getting in deep with nature is an important part of health. And if you're not doing that, um, there there's going to be at least some negative health consequence to that. So that was a big part of it. Um, like I mentioned a little bit, the culture in Hawaii is very warm, you know, strong Polynesian influence. Um, and then just like the melting pot, especially like the kind of more Asian melting pot in uh, Honolulu in particular, you know, like Chinese, Korean, Japanese, um, other Polynesian islanders, um, you know, we even talked about that, like, oh, some people might even mistake me for being Portuguese because there's a strong Portuguese influence mm-hmm. there. That actually, the ukulele was uh, an import from a Portuguese, Portuguese instrument. Portuguese, yeah, very exactly. Similar. Um, all of that. So, like, the culture is very warm, very personal, very human, very, like, touch. Touch, very, yeah. Like, you know, eye contact. Conversational, uh, talking stories. Yeah, like, you don't even know somebody and they're calling you brother. They're calling yeah. you sister. They're calling you auntie. They're calling you uncle. uncle. Yeah. Um, and that meant a lot to me and really made me feel good about being there. Um, I mentioned Manoa Valley. Our, our little apartment is actually in Manoa. It's so cool, man. Like, Manoa Valley is the biggest valley on Oahu. Um, so it means it's the biggest collector of clouds because the mountains are gigantic and it just, like, collects all the clouds. Um, so very frequent cloud cover, which means it's pretty cool there, despite being very tropical. Um, and it's constantly raining, which for me, I love. It's very cleansing. Some people really get down about the rain. But for me, it's just like I feel like nature is constantly cleansing us up there. The air is very fresh. Um, and I just feel like all my troubles are getting washed down the mountain. Um, and then, you know, the ocean, Moana, is collecting them and washing them away, you know? And so, like, that's really cool. I, because of that, I finally got my uh, bike fixed. Um, so now even my commute to work and back up home uh, is, like, some good physical exercise. I was thinking about this interview, and I was like, oh, if Tony asks me, like, what's, what do I think one of my what some of my weaknesses are, um, I have to be very honest because some of my clients are going to watch this and they're going to call me out on it. Um, like physical training, um, as far as like, you know, a holistic view of health, like physically, physical training, I've been really, I really lost touch with after like high school through high school. I was uh, really intense about competitive swimming. Um, but since then, um, I've really like gotten out of shape and so I've been trying to find ways to reintegrate that back into my lifestyle. Because there was a period when I was at Georgetown yeah. where I rode my, I commuted on my bike. Okay, so that kind of like helped you a hills. lot. Yeah. Um, and so that really helped me. Yeah, we were talking about how did I get through medical school. Yeah. That was probably, I actually didn't even realize it, but I was probably kind of like stabilizing my depression a little bit just with my commute to campus. Right, exercise induced endorphins. Exactly, all right. that. Um, you had to sacrifice a bunch of stuff when you went to medical school, and that includes exercising. Yeah, but, we, you know, uh, luckily, just by necessity, we didn't have a car. 
Um, so I had to find some way to get to campus, and so I got a bike. And, yeah. And, like, Georgetown was, like, up on this crazy hill. Um, and so I'd, I'd bike up and down that every time I went to campus. Um, but so, like, I'm trying to get that back into my life now. So I, I finally got my road bike fixed up. If you, like, follow me on Instagram, um, you'll see, like, some posts about how my bike wasn't working for a while. Right. Um, but it's finally working, so now I can commute up the hill. That should help with my You've been doing that. You've been surfing. Yeah, I'm trying doing to get back the ocean. surfing, yeah. like, you know, to connect with my family heritage but also like to the Polynesian culture that I'm in um, and just like as a great way to get in touch with the ocean also specifically surfing I've always felt like my neck and my back were particularly weak just because we're always fucking on the computer right right um, so surfing is a really great like back Wait, workout because you're prone on the board the whole time and like, mm-hmm. looking, at, looking for ways. So you can reverse the... Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe it's just all in my head. Um, I need to get more of my physical trainer friends um, to help me balance my... You should put a plug in for Austin Einhorn and Aperos. Um, I don't know if I pronounced that properly. Yeah, Aperos, like, you know, yeah. Aperos? Yeah. Aperos, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like I need more help from guys like him um, in, in getting my mechanics and my physical training up yeah. to par because, like, I'm very intense about the stuff that me and Shaker and Scott and Dr. Ted and all of our team over at Health Optimization Medicine focus on, which is really the biochemistry, the micronutrients, hormone balancing, that sort of thing. Um, but really haven't gotten my physical training up to par, but I feel like Hawaii is helping me with that yeah, also yeah. because I feel called to get out into nature and do physical things in nature. Um, a lot of my friends and clients who are into physical training are like gym rats, and I just can't get into that. Like, yeah, you know, I don't blame the fluorescent you, man. Lighting gym is and, like, uh, rubber, rubber flooring. Sometimes they're like that. in basements, and yeah. you can smell the mold. Yeah, and like, sorry, I'm not trying to like freak everybody out, but mold is toxic, man, and that mm-hmm. can really cause problems, especially if yeah, you're, mold you're dust, skin cells from people's you know sweat, skin mm-hmm. mold, mm-hmm. Uh, all that like uh, volatile um, uh, exhaust coming mm-hmm. from the rubber the the treadmill spinning awesome. that's creating all kinds of like uh toxic fumes probably you know so it's like that combination plus you're under fluorescent light and there's no fresh air in there it's all recycled the uh, ac i mean net i think people are still probably helping themselves rather than hurting yeah, themselves absolutely. by going to the gym so i'm not saying quit the gym if like that's the way that you really get into it um but for me, and I think a lot of people um, kind of need to find an outdoor gym and connect yeah. with nature or at least get outside while you're doing it. And just well, why not like stack these things, like mm-hmm. all the benefits of being in nature while you're moving your body, you know, getting fresh air, sunlight, all these things that you and I talk about, mm-hmm. you know, are so important for the human organism to mm-hmm. thrive and if you can get all of them at once, instead of just like going to the gym, just getting your exercise in, why not do them all at the same time so you can get most bang for your buck? Yeah, but I, then I always put out a disclaimer because definitely I've had some clients who have called me out on this and they're right. Um, and you have to have balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes you can get into this trap where you're trying to overstack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and then you're like getting anxious mm-hmm. just about like, oh, do I like do I oh, have biohacking in my know. stack? Am yeah. I yeah, am I biohacking properly? Am I like yeah, am I taking care of every detail? And it's like you know, or or you just don't balance. go to the gym because you're like, I don't want to work out in that environment, mm-hmm. and really you just need to move your body. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you may not be able to stack, but you do need to move your body. But you're yeah. like, I'm not gonna go to the gym because I don't like gyms. And it's yeah. like, well, you're actually gonna have a more 
benefit going to the gym and working out on the net side. Like if you have a friend who's like a gym rat and like, you know, for a lot of people, it's the social piece really helps. um, Then just like, you know, attach yourself to that friend and go. Because like just getting started on on getting into some physical training um, is just one of the most important things you could possibly do for your health. Um, But if you really feel called out into nature, then like go out into nature. If you need the social piece, get a friend to like, to go on walks with you if it's hard finding a physical friend call a friend you know like you and i frequently do that we'll be on long phone calls and we'll be on long, we'll both be on long walks at the same time while we're doing that or one of us is driving and one of us is walking um or um the internet can be your friend so like i listen to a lot of music and go for long walks mm-hmm. um i love doing that kind of thing yeah podcasts uh mm-hmm. you know audiobooks mm-hmm. those are all amazing things to mm-hmm. to you at the same time um what i love about you dr carlos is that you know you have your hardcore uh science background but you also recognize that there are some things that science cannot like measure and can't quantify it so you know you're open to like whatever works mm-hmm. so like earlier you're talking about you know the the energy fields of the heart per se mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. versus the brain you know and why like when you are in the presence of somebody that feels pretty like connected mm-hmm. calm um they're they're totally on purpose you can see that they have like meaning in their life and you're just in their vicinity you feel impacted by them whether they say something or not um so what what was it about um your understanding of that where you you do recognize that this is happening not just with people but also in nature and like the connection to the universe Mm -hmm. the greater Mm -hmm. well um Science was my gateway into opening my mind into these sorts of things. Um, so, like, especially during my medical training, um, I had a lot of health struggles myself. You know, like we've been talking about, we kind of side mentioned like mood issues and just like not feeling right. Um, I got super depressed at points. Um, you know, to be completely frank, got like to the point where I was suicidal, and that was probably really what helped me, like find Pamela Wibble and like really dive into her content because I was like oh shit I'm not the only one I'm not the only like doctor in training who's having a hard time and like thinks really dark thoughts sometimes um and so I started looking into how to help myself and of course I started with my own system right I start like I was training in western medicine so I went to western doctors you know I went to my primary care doc um they would refer me to a psychiatrist and a psychologist I would go to talk to them um, and maybe what you know the traditional docs were doing by traditional I mean like western allopathic MD, DO working in a conventional insurance based system um, what they would do might help a little bit but just like I could just feel inside me in like you know I guess a subjective way that like even whatever little help I got from pharmaceuticals Um, or traditional talk therapy um, was just kind of like touching the surface and there was a lot still wrong Um, and I ignored it for a lot of time but sometimes when I was feeling a little bit better um, be like well let's get nerdy about stuff Um, so I'd start getting nerdy about nutrition we had a little bit of a nutrition class in Georgetown that kind of opened the door for me a little bit Um, obviously we like had a decent biochem training and food is 
biochemicals and interacts with your body biochemically. Um, so I started looking into that a little bit. Um, so experimented with different diets and stuff while I was in medical school. Um, but then you always forget about it because like your training would get so intense um, that you didn't have time to like really stick to that. And then your what you were being trained in didn't focus on that. So it was like had to be a side project, had to be a hobby to be healthy with diet because you're exercise. basically trained to deal with illness and disease yeah and even you're not you don't have the time to like care about yourself you know so first of all yeah your training is just like there's a pill for every ill and if there isn't a pill for it there's a surgery for it and if there isn't a pill or a surgery for it you're fine don't worry about it uh, i mean obviously there's a lot that like there isn't a drug for. Um, and even if there is, it doesn't mean that the drug is the best way to go. Um, so, you know, every once in a while, like I would start feeling worse, but had enough energy to like start investigating, uh, natural approaches to health. Um, and then what really happened was, so like Shaker and I, we met, um, like right at the beginning of medical school, bonded really well, um, went in uh, slightly different paths for our first year of residency. He did his internship at a different institution while I was at Highland. Um, but we stayed uh, well connected. And I like rec- basically recruited him over to our residency program at Highland. Um, so we went through internal medicine residency there. We were both like, this is bullshit, but this is the way that um, we can do service right now. Um, so we both got like pretty conventional jobs afterwards. But right at the end of our in- internal medicine training, when we had more time, basically senioritis, you know, when you're a senior in high school and you fucking do whatever the fuck you want. Um, some of that was happening like our senior year, senior year of residency. And so we started exploring a little bit out of inter- like traditional internal medicine. So it was around the, so right before we met you, Shaker and I uh, went to um, a obesity medicine association um, conference. So like shout out to all the homies over there. Um, like uh, the you can know the Denver diet doctor. Um, He's Dr. Gerber. He was like one of our mentors there in the Obesity Medicine Association. Um, I'm bad with names, so I'm sorry that I'm hesitating here. Um, But Dr. Eric Westman, um, who was one of the lead co-authors on basically the rewrite of the Atkins program um, and is like building out a model uh, for using ketogenic diets as like the cornerstone of treatment for uh, reversing what we call metabolic syndrome, in particular like type 2 diabetes and obesity. Um, he has a kind of like a franchise of clinics called Heal, Heal Clinics, I believe. Um, and I'm forgetting some other important names because I'm just bad with names, so I apologize. But we had a few um, really influential mentors there who basically opened our eyes to like, oh, you can use diet to reverse disease. And me and Shaker were like, like that makes sense but all you guys ever told us was it was drugs and surgery mm. and but now you're saying like nutrition and like what's this thing keto what's keto what's a ketogenic diet like one dude mentioned that and we we're like what's that yeah never heard Googling that before it. yeah and then we ended up on facebook groups um where we were interacting with people like jamie jamie um and jamie uh was connected to a good friend of yours alexis alexis yeah um so shout out girls like you totally helped us out on that um we should you know i don't know if you do show notes but if you can we should like give some links um to the great stuff that jamie's doing um and why not like put a link to the stuff that alexis is doing um but um 
me and Jamie got connected both locally and online. Like we were both part of a meetup group uh, run by Louis San. Uh, he runs a really cool like the San Francisco ketogenic diet uh, group that they're really using um, ketogenic diets to help heal their own diseases. Um, so anyways, we got plugged into this socially and started looking into the science and actually the crazy thing was we were learning more on social media and other internet platforms than we were in our traditional resources for medical science. You know, like we'd look in our textbooks and it's like, there's no mention of ketosis in the medical books besides diabetic ketoacidosis, which Mm. is like a life-threatening disease state. Um, So, but what about what we're hearing about the potentially therapeutic benefits? Um, And if you look deep at some like old uh, medical like journal articles, you can find stuff about using ketogenic diets for the treatment of drug-resistant epilepsy in a pediatric population. So that was the first time where like real researchers and real medical doctors were using um, ketogenic diets in a therapeutic context and seeing like remarkable results like for children with epilepsy. No, yeah. And it was like more children because basically children were more sensitive to the sides, side effects of the drugs. Mm. For adults, it's like, yeah, we can find some way to get you on one of these pills and reduce it. But some kids like just like would were zombies um, or literally put into comas if they were on uh, hardcore anti-epileptic drugs. They couldn't tolerate them or other side effects like rashes and things like that. They couldn't tolerate the side effects of the drugs, but they had to find some way to control seizures mm-hmm. in pediatric epilepsy patients. Um, and so they put I don't them know on the, a high-fat diet. I don't know the whole history of it, but basically they used high-fat diets, MCT oils, mm-hmm. because those were really easily absorbed and digested. Um, and gave uh, ketones as energy to the brain, and that was helping stabilize the electrical patterns in the brain and preventing, and in many cases, completely eliminating the need for any other intervention uh, to control uh, epilepsy. Um, So there's this group called the Charlie Foundation that's that's based in Canada. They often have their conference in Banff, Canada. Um, so like shout out to them. They really helped open our eyes into the therapeutic potential of ketogenic diets, not just for, um, not just for epilepsy, but for all sorts of conditions. Um, and so, yeah, we found like through social media and other ways of connecting online, like, uh, lecturers and scientists who are posting their talks on YouTube. So YouTube and Facebook, uh, became our classroom. And so, and the main, and we had classmates all over. There's people just dying for this information and are are really smart and they might not have a traditional background. You know, they didn't go to medical school or whatever, but like have gone deep into the research of it. And so we started making a lot of friends there, Jamie, and then you, um, we started following, um, Jason Prawl's podcast. Um, and he was just bringing in like, ridiculously like genius level guys talking about stuff um guys and gals sorry um like genius level stuff yeah like easy water at uh, the fourth yeah. phase of water Structured with dr water. Uh, pollock right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um or uh dr jack cruz talking about the importance of, of light natural sunshine um avoiding blue light and mm-hmm. like other artificial light spectrums how that affects our hormonal mm-hmm. and then uh, even profile. getting deep on to like the negative health impacts of electromagnetic fields mm-hmm. um and the importance of like getting back in touch with natural electromagnetic 
magnetic fields like grounding through the earth and like the earth's magnetic field um, and finding ways to create some distance or like make a little bit more less like negative impact from the emfs that we're exposed to through technology through tech um so and then actually like um other big mentors there like dr beck had a um an episode there um he i think they were talking about methylation and mthfr (laughs) like Shout out to the people in that world. I have an MTHFR defect. I'm C677T um, homozygous, which is like considered like one of the really bad mutations there. So um, is it's that not the end of the though? world, by the way. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. The details like get complicated, but it's not the end of the world. Like uh, there's lots of stuff going on in your health besides like your singular single nucleotide polymorphisms your SNPs um, so what is that information, but they're, they're not the most functional information <laughs> basically I'd have to explain all of health optimization medicine to say like how we uh, deal with everyone's unique biochemistry right um, but which everybody is unique everybody's unique and even your unique genetics are not the full story yeah um, they're only kind of your they're, they're just your cell's toolbox. And even then, we're only looking at a couple of the tools that we've been able to sort out. There's millions or billions that we haven't sorted out mm-hmm. yet. We were talking about this at the park the other yeah, day. Exactly. There's whole loops of DNA, like millions, billions of uh, nucleotide bases that we just have not like figured out exactly what they do. Um, we're finding out that they're probably more structural and like uh, like photo communication based. right right and in the past they've been coined junk dna yeah you would call them junk dna but really they're probably more part of the epigenetics and other like forms of uh, communication. uh genetic communication and cellular communication that we haven't completely sorted out yet and definitely isn't in the medical so, textbook so there's a lot that we still don't know even with the technology that we have today yeah so like you know, even things like 23andMe or, like, even if you got your full, gen- like, genomic profile, that's definitely information, but we haven't unraveled what it means. And even if we did, it's just one layer on top of, like, we don't know how many layers that influence The tip of the health. iceberg is anything. Yeah. Um, but where was I going with that? We were talking about MTHFR. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, like, so many different things that are part of, like... Of human being, and yeah. My, my original oh yeah, no. Yeah. Doctor Beck, yeah. Um, his talk was about methylation. That's why. That's where we got on that track, and we were talking about that because of Jason Prawl's podcast. Yeah. Um. So like, Doctor Beck really helped me learn a lot about not just methylation, but like a about functional medicine in general and the like advances that have happened there, um, and just like a more rigorous yet like natural, uh, balanced approach to. To health. To health. Um, so, you know, his platform is called the Balance Protocol. And, like, anybody who's working with Dr. Beck, like, um, excellent. Like, thumbs up. They're doing great work over there. And it's very much in alignment with what we're doing um, over at Health Optimization Medicine. Just a different style, a different crew. Um, but, like, Dr. Beck really helped me open my eyes to a lot of these things. So there are all these other variables that are helping us become uh, optimized mm-hmm. or healthy mm-hmm. And not like living in a state of illness or disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also like specifically the term balance that we shouldn't be afraid of like the dark side of things, you know, like sometimes things like pain or discomfort are signals that something is wrong 
that needs to be fixed. Um, so we should have gratitude for that feedback because it's giving us a chance to fix things. And even a lot of the like signals that uh, we traditionally would have used to interpret our own health status, like we ignore. You know, especially like we're talking about with the digital age, we're like s- such an influx of uh, notifications and content that like we don't even listen to our bodies the way that we used to um, for the positive or the negative. But anyways, like Dr. Beck really opened the door um, to a lot of this stuff for us. And so um, he deserves a lot of credit in, yeah. in my background in particular. Um, and then like we also were exposed to Dr. Ted Achacoso for the first time on Jason Prawl's podcast. He had a little series on gut health on his podcast. And we were just blown away by this guy. I was like, we've never heard about this dude, but he freaking knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shaker took a leap of faith, a big leap of faith, and like flew out from L.A. to, I think Dr. Ted was giving a talk at the Microbiota Conference in Berlin or something. Yeah, in like, Germany. Yeah. yeah, and he was just like, fuck it, I'm going. Yeah. And like he cold called, emailed him, mm-hmm. and was like, I'm coming to find you, bro. And Dr. Ted was like, come find me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and they hung out, and they bonded, and then uh, Shaker brought... Ted back to yeah, us, you know. Yeah, and then exactly. We, we had that meet up in LA, mm-hmm. um, where we all got to meet up, and you know, Jason was there, Dr. Ted was there, you, me, and Shaker and Scott, and that was really the beginnings of the organization of health optimization medicine in the United States. Dr. Ted had already uh, mentored and trained um, a number of physicians, particularly in Manila. Um, So a lot of them are under the uh, banner of BioBalance. So if you want to find out more about them, they're at biobalanceinstitute.com, I think. Just Google it. You're more likely to find it. You just type in BioBalance Institute. They're based in Manila in the Mm -hmm. Philippines. Um, and so when we saw it, I was like, okay, it's not just a smart guy who's like charismatic and sounds like he knows what's going on. Um, he's already developed a training program that works for him and his own clients. Um, but also like, you know, there's an, a team of docs already practicing, you know, had a training like me. They went to medical school. They did residency. Maybe they got some functional medicine training after that. Maybe not. Um, but they learned uh, health optimization medicine as like designed and refined by Dr. Ted Ajacoso, and they're helping. They're helping themselves, and they're helping other people. And it was like, oh shit, this is the real deal. Um, but Dr. Ted had never um, really fully mentored he had done some teaching in the united states but hadn't really like fully mentored uh american physicians the way that he had in um manila and so we were like well we want to learn this kind of medicine and not just for us and not just for our patients but we want to help save the world you know like Conventional medicine is doing a lot of good, but it's not the end-all and be-all. Um, there's still a lot of suffering that conventional medicine hasn't answered. And there's even still a lot of medicine, like health issues that even uh, integrative or complementary health approaches hasn't fully addressed either. But we're going to get a lot closer if we get all these pieces together. Um, and we really need to build that up. So um, we're all working together to build this organization um, called Health Optimization Medicine in Practice. Um, easiest way to find us is healthoptimizationmedicine.org. Um, Dr. Ted's our leader, 
and mentor. Um, Dr. Scott Scher is kind of the chief organizer. Uh, Dr. Shaker, obviously, is the chief connector. He's the one getting us all together and making sure um, uh, the who's who and the what's what are all like on the same page. Um, and Jason, Jason's still doing a lot for us. He's he, He's kind of our chief of marketing. He's got um, a, a documentary out. Yeah, he's got an awesome new document docu-series out, um, the Human Longevity Project. Dr. Ted is featured there, but uh, uh, leaders around the globe in, uh, in health and medicine are featured there. It's a really great uh, uh, series, highly recommended to anybody. Well worth it. Um, but he's doing a lot in media uh, with us because he's obviously an expert there yeah. in addition to being an expert in the practice of health optimization. Yeah, so the word is spreading. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you guys went down this rabbit hole. You went down this rabbit hole, found all these amazing practitioners around the world that are uh, classically medically trained, but also also looked outside of the box. Mm-hmm. So back to the earlier question was like, you know, being open to the fact that we are electrical, biochemical mm-hmm. beings that we emit a mm-hmm. signal and then having the ability to listen to the feedback loop within ourselves, interacting with our environment, interacting with other human beings, mm-hmm. other sentient beings, um, interacting with all of it, whether it's in an internal, external. So um, how is it that you were able to say, hey, you know, science is limited. There's something more going on. What was your own personal experience with that? There's more to with to life than mm-hmm. what can be measured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I appreciate you saying like own personal experience because I do have to put out that disclaimer that Dr. Ted is very rigorous about like um, addressing what's measurable. Um, so health optimization is very precise. We we go on a like as rigorous as possible foundation of like measurable scientific biology. Um, so if it's not directly measurable, quantifiable, and like is isn't like established that we can positively influence somebody's health um, by intervening specifically on that metric, um, then. It could still be a health practice, uh, but isn't like officially part of health optimization medicine yet um, until we can find a way to reliably measure and rely- reliably intervene and see the, the post effects of those interventions. Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't lots of health stuff that is not as objectively measurable yet. Um, so for me personally, as I was like going down the rabbit holes of um, ketogenic nutrition and health benefits there and then nutrition in general, um, and then we talked about light and sunshine, I just started realizing, okay, there's a lot uh, going on health-wise besides what I learned in medical school. Um, some of it's measurable and some of it's not. And maybe for just historical reasons or political reasons or whatever, some of these things are kind of in the house of traditional medicine and there's some things that aren't. Um, so what are some of the other kind of just like big resources for um, health practices besides what's conventionally uh, taught and available. It's like, well, you know, the ancient traditions have been like working on healing people for thousands, maybe millions of years, right? Um, Even like non-human animals will like chew on medicinal 
plants um and they don't seem to be doing it randomly like so there's even like you know anyways um so when i was starting to like get some overlap into those areas you know like ayurvedic medicine um uh traditional tibetan medicine yeah shamanic um, medicine shamanic medicine like um american herbal uh medical traditions traditional chinese medicine acupuncture you know um learning a little bit about the meridians about the chakras etc i'm no expert in any of these things by the way but just was able to start even just like through the science like reading journal journal articles and saying like oh there's a reduction in cytokines when you like stand out in the sun when i was uh, taught in medical school the sunshine sun was just bad for you because it was just increasing your risk of skin cancer um and all you need to do is take a vitamin d supplement if you're worried about your vitamin d levels and it's like no even if you just look at the basic science you're just looking at what researchers are doing and reporting there's lots of health benefits for sun exposure besides just vitamin d production you can't replace sun with a pill and so i just started seeing that there were other things like that where like there were the science wasn't as uh, advanced as it was in pharmaceuticals for these other health practices, but it was at least suggestive that there's a lot of benefit from things that we kind of like common sense or like traditional um, wisdom consider healthy or medicinal, like sunshine, like uh, herbal remedies, you know. Um, so I started looking more into those things, you know, you're talking about like energies and, um, magnetic fields and whatnot. So at some point, you know, started looking more into, um, meditation, neurofeedback, biofeedback, that sort of stuff, um, which is like really awesome stuff that we do on the magic flow bus. (laughs) <laughs> Go to a magic flow bus, do some neurofeedback, biofeedback. It's awesome stuff. Um, but so one appreciate of the, the plug. Yeah, <laughs> no, magic flow bus like changed my life. It's super awesome. Like I said it on Facebook, and I'll say it again. Every magic flow bus event is a um, potentially life changing event. So go change your life for the better and Uh, why why do you say that just to interject on that well just like so many things right like you get the social piece like you're literally in a bus or like some other small space with people so you're really bonding everybody's there because they're motivated to improve their health to elevate themselves um so like it's a very positive um very like motivational um uh, tribal in the positive sense of that term um atmosphere so Mm -hmm. i love that um and then you just you get exposed to a lot of really awesome health optimization uh modalities that most people might be hesitant to try because they just like haven't had the guidance or support or um, had the chance to ask the questions that they needed to have answered before feeling comfortable doing something so for example it's not easy to get into an ice bath man and like a lot of people might have legitimate worries that like oh like i'm gonna have a panic attack like my heart's gonna race like crazy it's just too cold what about hypothermia um isn't isn't it going to be a shock to my system, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all like really legit, um, honest, like uh, emotional questions to ask. Um, And so you need somebody like Chuck McGee the third to be like, I got you. This, this is the answer to all of those questions. This is how we're going to manage all of those issues. I've walked a hundred, a thousand people through this. I don't know how many clients you had Chuck but a lot and I trust you and he walked me through it and even though I had been through some Wim Hof training before I had been out of the loop for a while I was really nervous like 
because I knew that the ice bath was on the schedule. I was like, damn, I don't know if I can do it. And that's going to be embarrassing because I've gone to some Wim Hof instructor training. Like, I'm a doctor. I'm trying to practice health optimization medicine. I don't know if I can get an ice bath, but like Chuck just held our hands and walked us through it. And I was, and it was so easy, like easy on a level that I just like couldn't imagine. And then like felt so good after. And then we had the sauna right there. So like you're saying, you get, you're able to stack some of these health practices together um, and like combining that with the community that you're building and then you're doing a really good job of connecting the like in-person connections and then like um, also planting the seeds of those digital connections so that people can stay in the loop with each other and stay communicating and build continue to build those relationships yeah it's just fucking thing? awesome <laughs> appreciate that man yeah i mean the main thing too that was created because there's so many people that are having conferences and they're just lecturing all day long mm-hmm. and you're sitting in a dark room which is antithesis to like health mm-hmm. and like you're getting information but you're you're on it's like being online just surfing the web for more information and i wanted people to actually get that direct experience with mm-hmm. all the things that are talked about during these these amazing yeah. conferences and lectures yeah and then on the back end people can learn what was that experience how did that work how now the theory becomes alive to them because mm-hmm. they actually had that real experience with what they're talking about in these dark rooms you mm-hmm. know yeah and it's really important too because shaker and i noticed that really early on that um him and i were learning a lot about first ketogenic diets but then lots of other like biohacks and you know like so like shout out to dave asprey and bulletproof podcast and like tim ferris and all the biohacking stuff that he puts out there um joe rogan all the biohacking health optimization stuff that he puts out there and kind of the circles of people around each of those guys like those communities have really helped a lot but so like him and i we knew that we were like willing biohackers you know like we would fuck with our diet we would fast for three or four days like we'd go out naked in the sun in the backyard for days and everyone like thinks we're crazy people um but we were experimenting with our health right and like even willing to put a little bit uh like even willing to make some mistakes there you know like so if i got a sunburn it's like okay well that's not optimal but um part of me figuring out how to do this so that i can learn how to communicate this to other people but what we found out pretty quickly is that um a lot of people they've just been so sheltered or maybe it's just a difference in personality or whatever um that they're just not as willing to experiment um if they don't have the kind of in-person um experienced coach or guide uh like what you're able to get at um a magic flow bus event or even if you don't need a guide but you just need a partner in crime you know like you just need somebody else to try this with you um to make it you know like you have a buddy if you need to bail out like you have somebody there who's gonna like help you bail out whatever it is you know just like that kind of social reassurance Um, but also like you bring really highly educated uh trained and experienced people to the group um i know like even with the title people might think like um it's just like fluffy hippy dippy woo woo. no man like tony's bringing top notch people to like walk you through some very advanced health practices um you know like dr scott share world-renowned integrative health uh, uh uh hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, practitioner, like basically defining integrative hyperbaric oxygen in the United States. Uh, Integrative hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There's lots of docs using hyperbaric oxygen that came before him, but very few that are using it in such an integrative, non-traditional way to advance healing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or Dr. Dan Engel, who's obviously like top-notch in using 
um, like traditional uh, plant medicines, um, specifically in the realms of um, like what we would call like psychiatric health or uh, mental health, mental health, that yeah. sort of thing. But I mean, he takes it way beyond. He's really helping optimize people's health in that way. Um, you brought Dr. Harry, who's like world renowned in um, treating chronic pain and also like common mental health issues like depression, anxiety, uh, using very common plant-based remedies like cannabis, um, etc. And he's also on the cutting edge of a bunch of other things. Um, so like Tony's not messing around at magic flow bus. Like, um, it really is, uh, magical, but very rigorous and scientific and safe. Um, and yeah, so I, I can't, I can, I can never stop praising like the work you're doing and Magic Flow Bus specifically because um, Shaker and I noticed like a lot of people just can't do it uh, without some like pretty hands-on social support. Um, in the practice that we're doing, health optimization medicine, uh, because it's a pretty niche thing that we're doing um, and since we don't take insurance for what we're doing, it's cash only. Um, and most of the cash that people end up spending isn't even necessarily for like our professional fees, but like for the labs that we need to do or the supplements that might, they might need to take and whatnot, it's expensive. So it creates like, you know, unfortunately a narrow market. The way that we are, um, uh, we're not happy about that, right? Because like I said in the beginning of this, like I want to take care of my people. And I know a lot of my people can't afford the type of like health uh, promotion that we're doing. Um, so the way that we're seeing it is like, well, these are our early adopters. Um, early adopters always kind of have to like pay a tax on that experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're really investing not only in themselves, but in the betterment of this kind of practice for the whole world. And so as we um, build this up in our own practices, as we, um, build up the structure to teach other doctors to practice the same kind of medicine or to integrate this type of medicine into their practices. Um, and spread this across the globe systematically, um, then our systems will get more efficient. So the, we'll be able to lower prices that way because we'll just be able to take care of more people um, with uh, less overhead. Um, and there'll just be more competition. There'll be more doctors doing the same thing, more doctors and other practitioners um, doing the same thing. So just like because of the competition in that market, that'll bring prices down too. Um, and... Um, I say that in a positive way. Like, I want the healthcare market to put me out of business because there's other people doing it better and cheaper than me. Um, because that means more people are getting served and more people have access to what is, I think, everybody's natural right to have, like, a vibrant, strong, happy, wonderful, long life. Um, the more access to that, the cheaper access to that, the better. Um, right now just because of the way the health market is um it's a pretty high price point so people who are willing to experiment and invest in that um those are our primary clientele right now um and so those people they're already willing to put down a decent amount of money to do this um so they're ready to play they're ready to experiment but a lot of people um who are like kind of would like to biohack they get the idea um but are just 
uh, timid or cautious for whatever reason, um, they need an environment like the Magic Flow Bus mm-hmm. um, uh, to help them get through. Uh, I try over a digital platform to do a lot of that motivation and education. Um, and often just by tweaking some easy things like, okay, let's just like clean up your diet a little bit. Um, let's get, let's like look at your biochemistry. Okay. It's obvious that you need these supplements, get you start feel get you to start feeling a little bit better. You had kind of some of this, uh, experience with, um, yeah, Dr. Mark Gordon. Yeah. Dr. Gordon's a great leader in this yeah. space. Um, so once you start feeling better doing these kind of easy things, right? Oh, I'll just put a pill in my head every day. Oh, I'm feeling yeah, a little well, better. Yeah, well, man, yeah. Imagine if the magic pill was in pharmaceutical base, so so to speak, but mm-hmm. more nutraceutical base, mm-hmm. and then got, got you to a place where you do feel better. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're like, what else can I do? Because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel amazing when I just replenish my deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I know that that helps. Like, if I start, like, kind of building up somebody's biochemical base um, that they'll just uh, have a little bit more energy which means they're a little bit more optimistic about their life which means they're willing to take um, a little bit more of like low level risks you know because like doing an ice bath is scary but if you're doing it with Chuck believe me you'll only feel better at the end um, so things like that um, but also um, we network with um, guys and organizations like you um, so that I can say like oh you're in um, Los Gatos well like hook up with my friend Austin so that he can hands on help you out with a lot of stuff or like oh you're in um, San Francisco Dr. Harry's based in San Francisco call up his clinic or um you know, I have clients as far flung as like Sydney or Melbourne, Australia. So like I'm trying to get connected with the functional medicine and like uh, integrative holistic health communities out there so I can make proper referrals. Um, some of my clients themselves, like as they learn health optimization medicine, um, become uh, part of the network too. It's like, okay, um, like you're a physical trainer. Can I send people to you like they might be in san francisco they might be in new york they might be in london but they need someone like you to teach them how to move their bodies and like get motivated to do so can i send them to you sometimes that's a struggle because we have to like people are used to doing things in person so then we have to get them on a like digital platform or vice versa it's like oh i usually do digital things and you're going to send me a client who's local um but we keep trying to do that like expanding the network um Mm -hmm. and it's really important to have people who can help you do these sorts of things in person because um, sometimes you just can't fully make that connection over a digital platform as much as we try. You know, I try to make it as real as possible. You know, watch this YouTube video. Let's do our interaction over Skype. We were talking about this a little bit before. Um, Because so many of my clients are... um, you know, over a digital platform, um, I've become, like, kind of hyper aware, like, at um, the nonverbal cues that I can pick up um, besides, uh, you know, just over a digital platform. Mainly because you've gotten yourself better uh, as a full, you know, as a human being to the point where now your brain's working, everything in your system's working better that what you didn't see before when you were in a down state you're probably missing these signals, right? And mm-hmm. that's what we were saying. Like when we give our best to the world by taking care of ourselves, then we start to notice things. And these nonverbal cues, you can pick them up even in a text now 
like mm-hmm. not just like on a, a digital screen with uh, Skype or Zoom or some kind of uh, video call, but mm-hmm. uh, just from a text or uh, the intonation mm-hmm. of somebody's voice on the phone. Definitely, yeah. You, I mean, I just like put my antennas up, and like you can you start feeling those things out. Yes, definitely because I'm feeling better. I think some of like. You know, those human sensors are turning back on. Yeah, your uh, ability to listen has been enhanced, mm-hmm. like, a lot. And that's what's going on with a lot of people out there, right? They're, they're just missing the signals from each other, especially with social media and smartphones. We're, mm-hmm. we're missing these cues. It's almost becoming, you know, I'm sorry to use this word, but it's, it's becoming more and more retarded, <laughs> you know? And... Um, in the sense that we have dumbed down, yeah, yeah, sure. dumbed down or nullified, or mm-hmm. you know, it's just, but it's there. It's always been there, and we just have to turn it back on mm-hmm. by having more of these kind of interaction, mm-hmm. by taking better care of ourselves, mm-hmm. and then we can be our best in the world. I mean, that's always been. I guess that's my new purpose in life is like, how can I give my best to the world? And first by giving to myself so that I'm like optimized. And when I'm optimized, I could totally give more mm-hmm. to the world. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can listen better. And I certainly noticed that, you know, with you um, in the past few months, you know, seeing your your change by uh, taking the leap of faith and going to Hawaii and, and, and putting yourself in that environment that is actually really healing. It's one of the reasons why I'd lived there for many years, multiple mm-hmm. times, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the just, aloha, the mana, the aina, all it of does that, a lot right? to feed your, your spirit. Uh, yeah. And your soul. I totally recommend like people going there, you know, if not to live, but actually to visit, to, to get that imprint on mm-hmm. their system so that they can carry that, Aloha, Aina, Mana, mm-hmm. back to wherever they are in the world, and people can feel, you know, the Hakuna Matata, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. The yeah. Uh, just that like Aloha spirit. Mm-hmm. So, um, Dr. Carlos, we flew by this. Um, any last uh, final thoughts or words you want to share with people after our little uh, garbage man passes by? <laughs> um. I would say just make sure you stay in the loop conversationally. So um, subscribe to Tony's YouTube channel. Subscribe to his podcast. Um, <laughs> You're the best like plugger ever. No, it's important. Really, cause that, <laughs> I appreciate that's it, That's how man. you yeah. keep, keep the pulse on what's going on. Yeah. Um, so subscribe to those. Um, interact in the comments because uh, you'll meet other like uh, people who are um, either know what's going on or they're like their companions in this journey. So um, interact, engage um, online, go to one of the Magic Flow Bus events if you possibly can. It's worth it to fly out here and do a Magic Flow Bus. I'm really sad that I'm gonna miss your next Magic Flow Bus Uh, coming up here in July. But yeah, to your point though, like a lot of the people that I've met in my life in networking all came from the internet and interacting on comments, uh, Mm -hmm. posting or Mm -hmm. reposting, or, you know, again, making comments on whoever's post it's been put out yeah I and mean, then, that's what, then like, a direct message right yeah no i mean that's what like you were saying that's what really motivated me and shaker to uh, set up the meeting to meet you that like jamie shared one of your facebook posts about your experience um experimenting the with the wim hof method and we were like oh shit this dude tony is legit <laughs> yeah <laughs> we need to meet this dude um but yeah so like interact uh 
with uh, Tony and the Magic Flow Bus in person if possible, at a minimum online. Um, go to healthorganizationmedicine.org and um, fill out the contact page so that you can get on the email list and stay in the loop there. Um, especially, especially if you're um, a doctor uh, or other health practitioner, including health coaches or just like a biohacker who really wants to be in the loop with um, health optimization medicine, which in in my humble uh, opinion, is like the most advanced, most rigorous, most scientifically driven, uh, most organized form of biohacking. You know, so if you want to do biohacking right, um, stay in the loop with health organization medicine. Um, actually, a really good way to do that is go on YouTube and just uh, go, just search Dr. Ted Atracoso, and he has a bunch of talks and interviews that he's done. Um, and so you can really get a sense for what so Atracoso is. It's what yeah, a- so DR space T E D for Ted, and then Atracoso, A C H A C O S O. Just type that into the YouTube search box, and you'll find a ton of awesome stuff. My favorites of his are he did um, a podcast episode with the HVMN guys. Uh, uh, I think they pronounce it human, um, but it's HVMN. That episode is really cool to get a sense for what um, health optimization medicine is and like how it's similar but different from biohacking. Um, and I also really like his relatively recent episode on the uh, Bulletproof podcast. You really get a better sense for Dr. Ted's personality and his background in that episode. They don't talk a lot about health optimization medicine. Um, the focus is slightly different because him and Dave really get to nerd out on some other stuff that you know they both uniquely have a very deep background in. Um, so those are my two like favorite episodes to find out more about Dr. Ted Achacosa and what he's doing in health optimization medicine in general. Um, if you like want to connect with me and my like little sub team specifically, um, CarlosRivasMD.com, but we're probably more active on Instagram right now. So um, that's Instagram.com slash CarlosRivasMD. Um, and then I work with, like I said, my partner, Elizabeth Artis. So you'll find links to her there also. Um, and so just like stay in the loop, stay in the conversation, uh, cause things are constantly evolving, constantly developing. We're very soon going to be rolling out, um, our beta curriculum to get other doctors trained in health optimization, other doctors and other practitioners too. We train, uh, anybody and everybody who's interested in this sort of stuff right now, the focus is other, um, uh, prescribing and non-prescribing physicians, you know, so like MDs, DOs, naturopaths, chiropractors, people with some degree of health certification, um, because we want to incorporate this into the, uh, conventional medical mindset as soon as possible. Um, but we plan on having, uh, educational content for anybody and everybody who's interested. So stay in the loop there. Um, I think that should Those be good. Those are the main yeah, things. Yeah, we, I think the garbage man's telling us to finish <laughs> up here. So thank you so much, Dr. Carlos Rivas, for coming on a Hangry and Horny. And I uh, love the T-shirt you're wearing, Hakuna Matata. And what does that mean again? It means no worries. But, okay, I won't get into it too much. My son just loves The Lion King. Um, him and I really bonded with that movie. Um, Hakuna Matata. There's a lot more. Also, I mean, I guess if you, I'm a little bit nerdy about The Lion King because, um, you know, uh, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson? Yeah. He references The Lion King as, like, um, a good uh, story for referencing some important uh, mythological uh, 
archetypal truths. So which we we could get into. It's kind of like a Jordan Peterson joke. If anybody is into uh, Jordan Peterson stuff, oh yeah, his stuff's amazing, Uh, and we could definitely get into like you know uh, becoming a more integrative, like awesome human being through learning uh, all the ancient mystic mythic stories Mm -hmm. and like their analogies Mm -hmm. and symbolism. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you, man. I oh, love you, pleasure. and uh, I can't wait to have you on the show again. Thanks, anytime. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Carlos, for taking the time to come on to Hangry and Horny. You're an awesome, awesome person, human being, physician. You actually give a fuck, give a shit about the people and the shows, and, um, you know, I just, just want to support you in any way that I can to help the world to make a difference so again thank you carlos for coming on to hangry and horny i want to give thanks to my sponsors f-bomb go to drop check out their amazing selections of nut butters that are macadamia based use the promo code flow real f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and get 20% off of your first order. Thank you all my dear listeners, all those hangry and horny peeps out there. Keep being sexy. Keep being kind. Go out there and give your best. Check yourself for your wreck yourself. And uh, just spread the love. Peace, everybody. Mwah.